Nancy Chimman is the program manager at the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation. In that role, she helps run the myriad of online support groups available at CABF. She's seen the ins and outs of online support groups and what it takes to make the experience comfortable for all. Nancy shares some of that wisdom with us today. If you want to know a lot about online support groups, you need to listen up today. Nancy, welcome to Flip Switch. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So you are in charge of online support groups for the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation, right? Right. We've got about 25 groups online for parents. And how long have those groups been running? The groups have been around since CABF started. They were originally on Yahoo and um, were folded into CABF and have been growing and evolving ever since. What goes into actually creating an online support group? If I jump online, I can just easily find support groups. That that seems difficult. Well, you can find, I guess I'm not quite sure how to answer that question, but, I mean, you can find support groups just about anywhere on the Internet. I mean, they crop up all over. People can create them through any number of free sites like Yahoo or Google. What makes CABF support groups unique is that, at least we think they're unique, is that we provide a little more structure and monitoring and training through the volunteer moderators that we have. And we try to offer groups that meet a need of our audience, which is basically parents and others who are involved in raising a child, teen or young adult, with bipolar or other disorder. That concept may be foreign to a lot of people. Tell us what goes into a typical online support group. What is it all about? An online support group is like a virtual living room where people can gather and talk with each other. And rather than talking face-to-face and actually getting in your car or hopping on a bus to go somewhere, your portal of access is through your computer. And you go to a website or a location on a website that is set up so that people can converse with each other by email or online by reading what other people post. So, for example, I've just joined a support group online and I'm conversing with them through email. So I send an email to, we'll call it supportgroup at gmail.com. That's the address I have. And I say, hi, you know, I'm Nancy and I'm new to this group. I've never really done this before, but my background is I've got three children, two of them have bipolar disorder, and I feel overwhelmed a lot of days. And I hit send, and that goes to the group, and that email goes out to, let's say, every one of the 50 members that belong to that group. And they can read and then reply or not reply as they choose. So I might get back four, five, six, ten emails over the course of the next couple of hours saying, hey, Nancy, welcome to the group. Glad to have you here. My name is Joe, and I'm dad to two kids. and and they'll tell their story. So it's just a way of connecting with other families, other parents who have, you know, we're all there because we have something in common. And and for CABF support groups, it's that we have a child with a mood disorder. Do you have a sense of what makes an online support group that is a positive experience versus a less positive experience? Yeah, well, in general, I think the nice thing about an online group, and we hear this from a lot of our families, is that 
where an in-person group has meets at a scheduled time, maybe the third Thursday of the month at 7 o'clock, the online groups are there all the time. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to worry about somebody watching your kids. If you have free time at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can go on there and read what other people have posted. You can send an email out and because you're dealing with people in different time zones and different sleep habits, you can very easily connect with somebody um, whatever time of day or night it is. And as far as what makes it successful is having other people who have similar needs and interests and a variety of experiences. We always have people coming on that are new. Maybe their child has just been diagnosed. And then we have the old timers who've been around the block a few times and have a lot of experience and sage wisdom and know how to ask the right questions or make suggestions. So that's kind of what makes the group click. One of the things we've talked about, and especially you know, in support groups, uh, at least in person support groups, is that to some extent it's like medication. You don't necessarily, not necessarily going to click the first time, and you're going to have to mix and match. What are some of the pitfalls you see too that you've seen crop up in online support groups? That's a really good question. I think the biggest pitfall that we run into is hitting what we call critical mass because if you have too many people on a group or not enough, it can either be very slow-moving and unresponsive or it can get very hectic and overwhelming with so many people posting and so many emails flying that people go, wow, this is just way more work than I'd anticipated. So we try to monitor the activity levels of the groups and when needed, start a new group or split a group. If a group is slow, we'll focus on adding more members to jump start it or the volunteers will do things, post certain icebreaker questions to get the conversation going. And occasionally you're going to have personality clashes. That's going to be true whether it's an online group or an in-person group. We try to match people to a group that we think will best meet their needs. So when someone is expresses an interest in joining our group, they fill out a short questionnaire that tells us a little bit about their background, the age of their child, the types of issues they're dealing with. And then we'll try to match them to the group that's best able to meet their needs. We have one group that has a cluster of Canadians. So we're more likely to put people from Canada into that group so they can connect with other people who are dealing with the same healthcare system and have some similar issues. That's not to say that everybody's Canadian that's Canadian has dropped into that group. For example, we have a group that focuses on substance abuse issues. So people might be in several groups and if their child is having an issue with alcohol or other substances, they may choose to join that group as well where they can really focus in on that particular issue or if they're looking into possibly using residential treatment, they may want to join our group that focuses on residential treatment and other alternative school settings. Um, so a lot of it is sort of synergy and trying to get the right match between the person and the group. Oh man, midterms are right around the corner. I've got to figure out a way to get home for Thanksgiving. I've got to break out the winter clothes. I've got to check in with my support group and psychiatrist. Oh, there's just so much to do. 
Oh no, you again. Yes, it is me, the genie of flip switch. You know they're still looking for you for breaking in my dorm room last time, right? Never mind that, Amy Lynn. On top of all your plans for the coming winter, you've forgotten the most important one of all. Seriously, dude, you gotta get out of- wait, what? November is a big month for Flip Switch, as our parent company, the Child Now Listen by Polar Foundation. CBF, yeah, I know. This month, CBF is participating in the Pepsi Refresh Project, giving them a huge opportunity to win funding. Really? How does that work? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, little Amy Lynn. Pepsi is helping sponsor a worthy organization that helps the community. All you have to do is vote once a day throughout the month of November for CBF at refresheverything.com. And there are three ways to vote. You can vote directly at the Pepsi site at refresheverything.com. You can look for CABF Pepsi Refresh page and vote on Facebook. Or, for those of you with nimble fingers, you can text the number 104174 to the number 73774 on your cell phone. All count as votes, and you need to vote once a day throughout the month. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll definitely vote for CABF and the Pepsi Refresh Project every day in November. I prefer the Facebook option myself. Now seriously, I'm going to call the cops if you don't leave. But there's even more, Amy Lynn. I so don't care. Just get out of here now. Seriously, you're really kind of creepy. You can win an iPad, too. You have no right to be in my... Wait, what? An iPad? For real? Okay, tell me more. Sign up for daily reminders to vote at bpkids.org slash pepsi. You'll be entered in the contest to win one of three iPads CABF is giving away. Oh, really? Indeed. In order to help get out the vote, CBF is promising to give away an iPad if they win the Pepsi Refresh Project. What's that site again? Oh, I can see I've got your attention now, Amy Lynn. That site is bpkids.org slash pepsi. When you sign up, CABF will enter you into a contest to win an iPad and send you daily reminders to vote for CABF in the month of November for the Pepsi Refresh Project. Sounds easy enough. It is! And you can help CBF continue its great work in helping youth fight against depression and bipolar disorder. Great. Anything else? No, that's pretty much it. Good, because security's here. Take them away, boys. You're under arrest. Put your hands behind your back. Hey, hey, get off me! Quit hey, hey! Quit fighting! Remember to vote for CBF in the Pepsi Refresh Project in November. Pepsi. Go to bpkids.org slash pepsi to learn more. I got online today. There are like a bazillion different groups to choose from, but as we know, not all things are created equal. How do you know what to look for for a good group? That's a very good question. You, know, you can't always judge a book by its cover. Some of the things that I look for are the size of the group, how long they've been around, what the activity level is, often with some of the groups on Yahoo and other free sites, you can see some of the statistics and see what the activity level's at. If they've only got eight or nine people and they haven't had a post in over a week, pretty well know it's not going to be a particularly active group. Our groups are closed, as are most support groups, in that you can't just go there and read what's being posted. You have to submit a, a request to join and then, you know, be added by the moderator or the administrator for that group. And that's really just to provide some controls, oversize, and, again, making sure that people are there because they should be there, that it's the right fit for them. It's not so much of a control issue, but rather just making sure that 
people are in the group that's going to give them the best support and the best information for their particular needs. I want one of the things uh, we've heard from a couple of people are that, you know, everybody kind of considers themselves at different levels with whatever issues they're dealing with. And sometimes they get a little nervous in these groups when they kind of read about or see other people who are dealing with issues like 10 times as bad as theirs. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not sure I should be in this now because of that. Does that happen a lot? Not a lot, but I think, again, that is another potential thing. And, and I know that some of our members, particularly our old-time members, will hold back a bit if they feel like their issues are too scary. And one of the things we've done at CABF to address that is that we do have some age delineations with our groups. So we have groups that are just for parents of teens and another um, set of groups that are for parents of young adults. Because the issues that you may see with an 18 or 19-year-old are very different from the issues you're going to be faced with a 10-year-old. And it would be scary to hear some of those issues if you're the parent of the 10-year-old. So we try to create some natural breaks and some natural splits between groups to minimize some of that. At the same time, we also emphasize that you have to go into the groups with the attitude of take what you need and leave the rest because it is not a one-size-fits-all and everybody's situation is going to be different and unique and what one person is experiencing are not necessarily the same as what somebody else is. I think what's more universal is the feelings that the parents have, that feeling of isolation, of being alone, of feeling like nobody else out there understands you and the beauty of the groups are that you connect with other parents and you go, oh, I'm not the only person who's feeling isolated. I'm not the only person who, you know, cries himself asleep at night. I'm not the only person who is frustrated with the healthcare system. So you have those sort of similarities with parents, even if your child's experiences aren't the same. One of the things we uh, uh, we've heard about and the scene um, every once in a while is that especially working with the mood disorders and just the, the mental health system in general, you have to kind of parse out facts from kind of pop psychology type stuff. And one of the kind of things we've seen is that sometimes uh, you can get trends where groups just kind of go off on one little new fad or something that is uh, maybe have something to it, but it's not really all that well supported by evidence. How do you keep kind of that from a, taking over a lot of the groups where um, suddenly it's just they're saying, hey, if you put an egg next to your bed at night, everything will be fine in the morning or something? You know, we've been very fortunate, I think, because of the diverse backgrounds that our members represent. There's usually sort of a self balancing, self-modulating that occurs. And people are certainly tolerant of parents pursuing what they feel they need to do for their child. And our general belief is that it is not our role as an organization to tell anybody what to do because they know best what's going to work for their family and their child. And all we can do is direct them to information and resources so that they can make an educated decision. But when some of, uh, for example, alternative treatments come into play. 
They get discussed. Um, I've never seen anything become a fad or become widely embraced by a group so that everybody's jumped on the bandwagon and says, wow, this is right for me. And that holds true whether it be for a particular conventional medication or a more alternative treatment. It just doesn't seem that a group of 30, 40, 50 or more parents are going to all drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and buy into that. This is Cher with your Tech Corner Tech Tip of the Week. Discrimination, stigma. When you're managing a mental illness, those are burdens you just don't need. Flipswitch guest Dr. Otto Wall told us a little bit about what we're facing and what we can do about it. So it turns out there are many individuals and organizations fighting together against stigma and discrimination. To get involved, visit the Flipswitch blog at depressedteens.podbean.com for a direct link to Dr. Wall's online guide to fighting mental health stigma. The guide will tell you about some of those organizations and efforts and provide you with links to their websites. In addition, there's information about books, videos, research, and other materials that may be of assistance in understanding and reducing discrimination and stigma. This has been Shira with your Tech Corner Tip of the Week. See you next week. Now, you specifically deal mainly with parents of children with mood disorders, ranging in ages from like zero all the way up to 18, pretty much, or even a little bit older. Yeah, um, 25, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think your experience with the online support groups can be applied to other types of problems? Oh, absolutely. I have collaborated with other organizations, for example, there's a great organization that deals with kids with food allergies, and we consult every couple of months on how our different online support programs are working. I know of a mom who's gotten a great deal of support for her child who has Crohn's disease. So I don't think there's anything unique about mental illness that doesn't lend itself, support groups don't lend themselves to other types of situations. It's any time people are feeling isolated, are feeling that they need to connect with people who've had similar experiences. Same thing as holds true for homeschooling. So there's quite a, a broad gamut of issues that thrive on having a support group system. All right, so quickly, how does somebody go about, I guess often occurs where one day your child is quote-unquote normal and then the next day they are quote-unquote not normal as defined by the system, I guess, and parents kind of freak out and say, oh, what am I going to do? So they've never had to pursue this. How do they, on date that second day, how do they go about finding a support group if they're just completely ignorant? Well, my experience, first of all, is that it generally doesn't go from one day everything's fine to the next day it's not. It's generally been a long time in the works, and parents have often spent quite a while trying to figure out what it is that's causing their child to have problems or not be the way their child used to be, or sometimes they've been that way since birth. But they get to a point where things start to, they hear some common threads or they go, wow, from everything I've read, it's, maybe it's possible that this is what my child's dealing with or somebody suggested it. So they're coming in with some degree of either a possible diagnosis, a definitive diagnosis, or they have a lot of questions in their own mind. A lot of people come to CABF by doing a search 
on the Internet. Once they find our site, it's pretty easy to, there are a lot of links that say, you know, get support, click here for support. And from there, you can see where our support groups go. Well, okay, so last-minute plug for Savia before we wrap up. Well, I'm obviously a little bit biased. I've been with CABF for over eight years and came there as a parent looking for help and support. And we do hear over and over again from our families that CABF has been a lifeline for them, that the support groups have been there for them to help them through the scary times, the uncertain times. That's where they go to get answers to their questions. We're not a substitute for professional help and support but I think that the support groups play a very important role in helping parents to rejuvenate, to stay the course. People say this is a marathon, not a sprint. So I think they're great for anybody who's unsure of what to do. www.bpkids.org slash support. Nancy Shannon, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Bye.